to Matthew chapter 5 this afternoon. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let's pray. Our Father, we do ask that you would instruct us in what it means to be perfect. We know that our goodness extends not but to you. We pray that you would lead us and teach us this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the last portion of Matthew chapter 5, and the second of two sections, both of which deal with how we engage those who oppose us, uh, called in verses 43 through 48, our enemies. We do have enemies, uh, not just of the spiritual sort, although those we certainly have. We also have people who oppose us, not just someone who disagrees, but people who take differing sides and seek to eliminate what we stand for, particularly what the Lord has said in His Word. In the Old Testament, there was one particular method that the Lord gave for Israel to deal with their foreign enemies. When they went into the Promised Land, they were told, kill them. Simple enough. God said, I'm giving you this land. When I give you this land, you will go in and you will let nothing that breathes remain alive. Kill every man, woman, and child. Now, even with that, if anyone chose to convert, then they were allowed to. However, uh, those who did not, they were to destroy. Now, this is the first time in all of these commands that Jesus explains that he takes on one that had really been added to. We all know that the command is in Scripture to love your neighbor as yourself. We could look at Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 just as one example of several. It says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. We also know that we're told in in the New Testament Jesus confirms this, in another place, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, he said, is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This takes care of the part about loving your neighbor, the second half of the Ten Commandments. From Commandment 5 all the way through Commandment 10, it deals with interpersonal relationships. Parents to children. Husbands to wives. 
neighbors to neighbors. You don't steal. You don't kill. Also, you don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Don't covet what your neighbor has. All of these are neighbor-neighbor interactions. The first four have to do with our relationship to God. But the last part is not explicitly scriptural. You do not find where Israel is told to love your neighbor, but also hate your enemy. At least, I've never found any place like that. In the Psalms, we do read where David talks about hating those who oppose God. He talks about how he hates what they do. And while that is true, yet David, what we see just in the life of David, if you read what happened to him, David never wrongly executed an enemy. In fact, David, even with some who would be considered enemies, uh, thinking particularly of the king of Gath, he developed a relationship with his Philistine king who for a time protected him from the hand of Saul. Talk about a backwards method of protection. Israel, the people of God, the king of Israel, Saul, was trying to kill David. So David finds protection from the enemies of Israel. Most notably, Achish. And Achish, the king, was willing to take David to battle with him. So, David is one example of this. And Jesus will give a much clearer explanation of how Israel was to handle their enemies. Jesus will contradict some of the received teaching. Now, when I say received teaching, I'm not saying that he contradicted what Moses had said. He contradicted what had been added to. Again, Israel had a philosophy in Jesus' day, as long as you love your neighbor, you can do whatever to those who are outside being your neighbors. That is, you can, you can treat Gentiles any way you want. You can lie to them. You can cheat them. You can steal from them. That was not uncommon. Why? Because they considered the Gentiles dogs. You know, below human. So you could do whatever you wanted to them, and Jesus is saying that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. You cannot hate, act in hatred towards those who are outside the faith. So Jesus said in verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. This is probably, of all the commands that Jesus gives in Matthew 5, the most contradictory command to our flesh. Because when we think of those who are very wicked and sinful, our automatic inclination is to hate the person. Is I mean, We even can think that it is permitted 
to be bitter toward a person who has sinned and continues to sin in a grievous way. But, that is something, as long as another person is alive, they still bear, in some sense, the image of God. And as long as one who is a sworn enemy of the Lord and of the Lord's people, as long as that man or woman is alive, they receive their breath from God Himself. And we are not allowed to consider them already in hell until the Lord Himself sees to that. So Jesus is asking from His followers the impossible. He's asking them to do something that no human being naturally can do. But there's a purpose behind it. Again, this morning I said that Jesus is teaching in from verses 38 to 48 how to engage our enemies. But we're engaging them from upside down, from a way that is totally unexpected. The passage we looked at this morning, verses 40, excuse me, 38 to 42, Jesus speaks about how we should receive the types of attacks that would come from our enemy. What we should do when they take us to court over very small, petty things. How we should respond when they demand from us things that are very difficult. How we should respond even to disrespect and dishonor. But as, after we receive that, then that, it's not enough just to take it. Now we are also called to go on the offensive. We receive the attack, and now it's time to counterattack, but not counterattack with physical weapons. We counterattack with new weapons forged and crafted by the Lord Himself and given to His followers. Because this is something one cannot do alone. So Jesus gave a four-pronged strategy for attack. Number one, He said, love those who oppose you. He said, love your enemies. So those who are against you, those who would act contrary and, and seek to go against you, you are to love them. How in the world do you do that? It takes faith. It takes faith in the promises and in the Word of God. Do you believe that when you love those who oppose you, that you are in fact heaping coals of fire on their head. Do you believe when you love them that you are 
being faithful to the commands of God because they don't it doesn't feel like faithfulness. It feels like stupidity. It feels like you're asking for it. You say, I, I want to go and hide myself somewhere. I want to take cover or I want to plot how I'm going to get back at this person or at this group of people who have done these things. And we have only experienced this to a very small degree. We have no clue about what it means to truly be persecuted and opposed by your enemies. So Jesus said the first thing you are to do is to love those who oppose you. Secondly, He said, bless those who curse you. So when someone speaks evil against you, in response, you speak word the words of God back. And not, when I say the words of God... Judas went out and hung himself. Go thou and do likewise. And whatever you do, do quickly. No, we speak words like, or should speak words like, Father, forgive them. Jesus did it. And you can say, well, that's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's perfect. Well, Stephen wasn't perfect and he did it too. So we speak contrary to the way we are spoken to. Rather than, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. Number three, he says to do good to those who hate you. So those who are working against you you do things to them which are good. They are expecting that you would do wicked things to them as well. Some would even, if they were honest, acknowledge, I deserve this. But instead, you would. Jesus said to do good to them. And fourthly, He said to pray for those who actively persecute you. This is the way the Lord's army attacks. This is our offensive. When the church was persecuted throughout the book of Acts, read their prayers. They exalt God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. They pray for boldness that they would not forsake their calling. They receive the persecution that, they, that, that comes to them with a submissive heart. And again, it's, it's not to say that, that it was easy for them to do these things. Alright? It, it wasn't. They're just as human as you and I are. They were people with natures like ours. 
So they needed exhortation in these things. They, they needed to have someone like the Apostle Paul write, as we read earlier today in Romans chapter 12, recompense no man evil for evil. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. When he says give place under wrath, he's not saying it's okay to have wrath, but, but he's saying don't give in to the desire to get revenge because of your wrath. And don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. They needed to hear that. Because the time was coming when the persecution was going to heat up. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse, beginning in verse 32, said, But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. See, you face these things. Or if you didn't face them, you know people who did face them. So what is his exhortation to them? Cast not therefore away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. He's saying, don't give in now. You've come to this point, keep it up. Because the Lord is growing in you that which cannot be taken away. So there is a call to love, to bless, to do good, and to pray for those who are our enemies. So the question arises, is there ever a place for defense? I've had very godly men say that a man should not defend his home or even his family. Because of this passage. But that also contradicts Scripture. There are times when war is necessary. We see examples of defensive wars throughout the history of Israel. And don't say, well, that's in the Old Testament. And this is the New Testament, and we're not supposed to do this in the New Testament. Now, there are some who maintain that position. But, we must have what we must be faithful to the whole of Scripture. Now, I'm not calling for anything to be offensive. As in, I'm not saying that we should seek out those that we suspect might persecute us for our beliefs and go ahead and go after them as you know as Christians or anything like that. No. The Lord has blessed states and by states I'm using that in the original term as in state would be what we would consider a country. But 
states and nations to go to war for protection of themselves when they were oppressed or when they were being attacked. When it is for not the gaining of physical goods, but for keeping yourself and keeping those who are in your family. David prayed that the Lord would teach his hands to war. He, and he gave thanks to the Lord who said, You make my fingers to fight so that a bow of steel is broken in mine arms. So, this is God's Word. And there is a place for defense. And again, I would refer you just to one example to 1 Samuel 30 with David protecting and going to retrieve his family who had been captured. So this is the strategy, though, that when it comes to receiving the daily attacks and insults and persecution that we would face, the answer is not ultimately to take up arms against it. Because even when the times come for defense, that is not when the kingdom of God itself is at its greatest growth. The the greatest growth of God's kingdom is when there is the evangelism in the name of Christ going on. And what Jesus commands here again, that is like the first prong, the, the, the first counterattack that is used usually to prepare the enemy, to soften up the enemy, so that then the full-scale assault, the evangelism of the churches, where the churches go out and send laborers into the harvest, where that takes place, and the Lord blesses, and eventually, that's how the kingdom grows. But in the meantime, we have a calling right here, and that is to receive what the Lord sends our way and then respond the way He commands us to. The reason is given in verse 45, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, for He maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So after this, these four things he gave for us in how we are to respond, he tells us the reason. That is because we, when we do these things, we display who our new Father is. Our Father is God. Only the children of God can do these things. This is a fruit of the Spirit. It's love when love is not easy. He show, the Lord, that is our Father, shows good to all men. He even shows it, in a sense, to those who are wicked by the fact that He has blessed them with things like the rain, the sun, food, shelter, clothes. All these things are blessings from God. They're gifts to us so that we might honor and give thanks to our Father. But many don't. But he is still showing his favor to them. So, Jesus says in verses 46 and 47 as practical examples of what this would look like. 
If you love them which love you, what reward have you? If you only do these things to those who respond well to you first, what are you doing that's any different than anyone else? If you are pleasant, if you are kind, gentle, and gracious to those who are pleasant, kind, gentle, and gracious to you in the beginning, you're not doing anything different than any creep outside the faith can do. He said, if you salute your brethren only, or you give greetings or something like that to those who are the only the ones that you know who are a part of your belief, then you're not doing anything different. This is a call to show the kindness and the grace and the mercy of God to those who don't show it to us first. And of course it's not easy. That's why Jesus is having to tell us to do it. Because it's hard. And it doesn't come to us as a fruit of the flesh. Jesus is telling us to love those who on their own are unlovable. Like the Good Samaritan who took time and gave of himself to someone who was Racially, his enemy. Someone that he would not go around. That's what we are to be like. Jesus used that example to say this is what it means to love your neighbor. Loving someone who's not like you. Who's different. And the last exhortation he gives is to be perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now this term perfect, a lot of times when you read about someone who is perfect, then you'll the meaning is that a person's mature. But this does not mean mature. This means complete. It means whole. God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they as as God he does not grow in maturity because he's already complete. He already has everything that he needs. He is already perfect. And the call is for us to aspire to be like him. The same word is used in James chapter 1, if you would turn there. In James chapter 1, looking in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now let's stop there and say, why are they scattered abroad? This is not referring to being scattered abroad as a result of the Assyrians coming back in the Old Testament. This is the fact that they were the twelve tribes. This is language used for those who are now believers but who have been scattered because of persecution. So he's writing to those who are being persecuted for their faith. My brethren, verse 2, counted all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Where would most of their temptations come from? It come from either directly or indirectly as a result of their persecution. They were being persecuted. When you're persecuted, you have to run. You have to let go of a lot of what you have. And you're facing trials. 
knowing this, that the trying of your faith work is patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire or complete, wanting nothing. I believe James has in mind Jesus' command in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. To be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Because the idea, the exhortation in James chapter 1 throughout the chapter, especially the early part of the chapter, is the same as Jesus' exhortation in Matthew 5. You're facing persecution. When you face persecution, here's how you deal with it. Jesus is saying you are to love your enemies. James is saying be patient. Don't give up. Don't back down in what I've commanded you because the Lord is working in you patience so that you may be whole, that you may be like your Father. And that, brothers and sisters, is the exhortation to us. We do these things not because just the idea of battle strategy makes it easier. I'll tell you, it doesn't. We do it because the Lord is making us like Himself. And He's promised that He's doing things in us that we don't understand and that we can't figure out. But what he's doing is glorious. He's making us like him. And so, as Jesus said, we are to follow our Father's example in treating those who oppose us with grace and with love so that we might display Him for the world. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that You would teach us and instruct us in these things, and may we not neglect them because of the difficulty involved, but may we instead embrace them, trusting You that You are bringing about all that You have promised, and may we trust Your promises in these areas. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.